said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Ashley Smith. Today's message is called The Importance of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is integral to all that we do as a church. Without the Spirit, we have nothing. In fact, more than nothing, we are a misnomer. We fail the calling that God has given to us as a church. Without the Spirit, we have nothing to give and nothing to share. But often in church life, we can get into, I guess you could say, the mode of church where we have our routine and, dare I say, ritual, where we go through the process of doing church. And if the Spirit were to be withdrawn, how much of what we do would we still do and not realise? I want to challenge you here this morning of the necessity of the Spirit. Because in my experience, I haven't, I, haven't, I guess you could say, appreciated the Spirit as much as I ought to. And I think every single one of us in this room can recognise that eternal realities, spiritual realities, sometimes we don't appreciate them as we should. We can often take things for granted, particularly when you're, I guess, given so many great and wonderful blessings, you can appreciate the blessings so much so that you tend to forget the significance of them. And so today we're looking at the importance of the Spirit. And I thought, where should I start? I could go into many different places to look at the importance of the Spirit. But I want to take us right to the very beginning here. And and at the beginning, I want to focus on the men that God used. We think of the book of Acts and we think of the early church and we think of the Holy Spirit as it descended upon the apostles as they gathered in that upper room in Acts chapter 1 and they were praying to the Lord for 10 days and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon them like a rushing wind and tongues of fire descended upon them and they stood up and they preached in languages that they previously did not know. This was Pentecostal power. Never before... Never before had the Holy Spirit been unleashed in this way. And it changed the history of the world forever. You come to Acts chapter 3, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And in Acts chapter 3, you know the song, Peter and John went to pray. I'm not going to sing it, but Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. What did he say? Silver and gold I have none. But what I have, I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ. What? Rise up and walk. And then what happened to the man? He was walking and leaping and praising God. Now, when Peter and John performed this miracle, where did they perform it? They performed this in the temple. When you look at the book of Acts, this man was lame, had been lame for a significant period of time. I think it was around 38 or so years. And for a portion of that, he would sit out the front of the temple and as people came in to worship God, he was hoping that they were given some kind of benevolence that they would actually extend to him finances or or means that he could use to survive. But he got more than what he bargained for that day. Isn't it interesting that sometimes what you request of God isn't actually what you really need and he actually gives you the very thing that you do need and it's more than what you ever thought. It's way better than what you ever thought. And this man was so radically changed that he runs through the temple praising God. And Peter, 
he stands up in the temple and he starts to preach a sermon. Now this sermon wasn't prepared beforehand. He saw an opportunity to witness and he stood up and he preached. Now it's quite a natural scene. You think this man jumping and praising God in the temple and here's this man standing up and preaching and it created a scene so much so that the Bible says that the Sadducees and the temple captain actually came out and grabbed these men, Peter and John, and took them before the Sanhedrin. The 70 or so leaders of Israel, the mightiest and the most noble men of the nation, the judges of Israel, the same group of men that a few months or so before had condemned Jesus to death in a kangaroo court. And these men no doubt were thinking, well, Peter and John, they're probably gonna be pushovers. And the reason why they're probably going to be pushovers, well, when you look at the story of Peter in Jesus' trial or during Jesus' trial, what did Peter do? He denied his Lord. In fact, where were all the disciples during Jesus' trial besides John? They were hiding. They forsook him and fled. They all ran away. And now they have them before the Sanhedrin. This intimidation is all that's necessary to get them to stop preaching the name of Jesus. But guess what Peter does? He just continues the sermon that he started in the temple and he preaches to them Jesus and he says to them the, the chief cornerstone you've rejected him and look at the response look at the response in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 this response, response is a speechless response now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realised that they had been with Jesus. This Peter that was before them was not the Peter that walked with Jesus months ago. This was a new Peter. This was a Peter who was filled with the Spirit. When the Spirit takes a hold of you, He changes you and He uses you in ways that you never imagined you could ever be used. This is what the Spirit does. And when you consider their response here, would you say that their response was wrong when they said that they were uneducated and untrained men? They were uneducated and untrained men. In fact, if you, look at the, if you look at the Greek, the Greek word for untrained, what does it remind you of? Now, it's in the Greek, and you can say it even though it's in church. What does it sound like? Idiot. They looked at these men, and literally they thought these are ignorant, illiterate idiots. But what was the qualifier? They had been with Jesus, and that makes a difference, doesn't it? I want you to consider this for a moment. Who Jesus chose and why he chose them in Desire of Ages. Ellen White says, passing by the self-righteous Jewish teachers, the master worker chose humble, unlearned men to proclaim the truths that were to move the world. These men he purposed to train and educate as the leaders of the church. They in turn were to educate others and send them out with the gospel message. That they might have success in their work, they were to be given the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that sentence, this is an important sentence. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, do you think that they were ever to be successful? 
Without the spirit, there was no possibility of success. Not by human might or human wisdom was the gospel to be proclaimed, but by the power of God. Now I've got a map up here because maps sometimes make things easy to understand. This is the area of Judea, Galilee, Samaria when Jesus was walking the face of the earth. And you notice a number of things. The disciples were Galileans, which means that they had particular traits and there was a significant prejudice against them, particularly by the neighbours down in Judea. And so the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the nobility, they looked upon the, 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 the Galileans and they would have think that they were second rate compared to them for a number of reasons. I mean, culturally, they even had a different kind of accent. When Peter denies Jesus or when he's speaking at Jesus' trial, they recognise his voice because of the way that he speaks. He's a Galilean. I mean, you think of the geography. You have Judea in the south, in the middle is Samaria, and up north is Galilee, and there's a number of Gentile cities up north. And so there was this cross-pollination between Jewish and Gentile here. And so ethnically, they're, they're not as pure as the others. There are a number of reasons why they were lower down on the ladder compared to their Judean brothers and sisters. Yet Jesus bypasses the religious elite. He bypasses the established. He bypasses the educated. And he chooses the ignorant untrained. And the question is, why does God do this? Well, God often does this. Because if God chose the educated, if God chose the wise, if God chose the preeminent, then those people, if they were to experience success, gets what they would label the success conditional upon or what brought about the success their wisdom, their understanding, their talents. Jesus instead chose men that had nothing to give but themselves. Because it's only in people that have nothing to offer that will truly depend upon his spirit. There is one thing that God needs you to have in order to receive the spirit. And for you and for me, that's a realisation of our need. There is nothing wrong with realising that you need help. I'm a single parent this weekend, Roses at prayer conference, which means I'm looking after the kids by myself. And we've survived the first day. <laughs> they had breakfast. I got them dressed. Rosie packed them lunch before she left. And I'm preaching today and there's somewhere out there But there's one thing that I just couldn't do. I have a boy, and when I'm getting them ready for church, Tommy's hair, no, no problems. Tommy's hair is like my hair. I have a shower, I wet it, I dry it, and then I pat down the bits to stick up. That's how I do my hair. You probably tell, actually. That's how I do his hair. The girls, like, what do you do with that? Like, it's just so long and it's all over the place. And I mean, those bands, scrunchies, whatever they are, I try to put them on and I just can't. I considered using zip ties. <laughs> it's just, like, what do you do with that stuff? So I called Boris and I said, Boris, I need your wife to do the hair of my daughter's Sabbath morning. Can she do it? Absolutely. And look at their hair. 
I sent a photo through to Rosie saying I did the hair this morning. <laughs> She's like, that's not our kitchen table. <laughs> but this is the thing, there is nothing wrong with realising that you need help and particularly in spiritual matters, there is nothing we can do in our own strength, we need God. And the first step, the most important step, is to recognise your need. In fact, the awakening of need is a, is a demonstration of the Spirit of God just the same. The only reason that you recognise that you need help is the Spirit is speaking to your heart. And so God often, God often uses foolish things to accomplish his purposes. Consider the Old Testament. Like we, We're speaking about the disciples here, but let's talk about material things in the Old Testament. When God performed miracles, how often did God perform a miracle where he used something strange to accomplish his purposes? Okay, I want you to march around the city of Jericho blowing trumpets and the walls will come down. Like, how do you explain that by logic? But God chooses foolish things to accomplish his purposes so that when it happens, the glory can be attributed to him and him alone. Let's put some blood on the doorpost and mantelpiece of your house and that will save you. You've been bitten by a snake? Well, have a look at this serpent on a pole. Like God chooses foolish things, things that don't have any inherent value or worth and he does amazing things through them. If he can use trumpets, if he can use a donkey, if he can use blood on a doorpost, if he can use the serpent on the pole and the list could go on and on and on, if he can use the disciples then don't you think he can use us? There is one thing that we need in this equation though and that is need. The moment that we think that we arrive or we have a lot to offer God is the very moment that we're actually going to rely to our gifts and our talents and not to him who is strong and mighty to save. And I think it's very easy for us even to use the spiritual gifts that God has given and trust more in the gift than the giver of the gift. And you can go through this kind of, I'm just going through the process of ministry. I'm just doing what I've always done. And you rely on yesterday's victory or yesterday's manner instead of pressing closer and nearer to the heart of God and re relying upon a fresh portion, a daily portion. So I'd like to invite you to open with me. Next slide. To Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. And this is where we see Jesus give a very interesting and strange command to his disciples. Jesus had just died. He'd risen from the grave. He appeared to them and performed many works amongst them. And now he was ascending to the, to the Father here and he was going to be leaving them to their mission. Now, if I was the angels watching on, the men that Jesus was leaving behind, I would have significant questions for Jesus. Are you sure they're ready? Because they're still wondering when the kingdom's going to be given over to them. And Jesus in Acts chapter 1, we see in verses 4 and 5 a remarkable thing that's said. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? But to wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For true, John truly baptised with water, but you shall be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus tells them to wait. In fact, Jesus says, before you can go, you first have to wait. And that's an interesting thing to consider. Hey, 
If you're a type of person that likes to get things done and likes to get the ball rolling, how do you feel if you have to wait before you can actually start? There's this great big work, the greatest work that had ever been given to anybody to win the world to Christ, to preach the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. There's a great work before them. They want to see Jesus again because Jesus says his gospel shall be preached as a witness to all nations and then the end shall come. And yet Jesus says the first thing that you need to do is wait. Because Jesus realises that when you wait and go with the Spirit, you can do far more than if you went out in your own strength. But so often we're keen to go out in our own strength and not wait for the Spirit or not receive the Spirit that we trust in our own abilities rather than the ability of He who is all-powerful. And this is consistent with Jesus' teachings, church. Yes, Jesus calls us to go. Yes, Jesus calls us to, to, to engage in mission and to do ministry for him. But he also wants us to wait and tarry with him in his presence. Jesus teaches his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out laborers into his harvest. It's an interesting thing. Jesus says, the harvest is great. Again, there is a great need. What is that need? Well, there is a harvest. That's the need. There is a problem, though. There are a few labourers. Well, wouldn't the solution be sending out more labourers into the harvest? Jesus says, no, the solution to the problem of the labourers is to actually stop and pray. Because what we need to realise, church, that the most important part of the work is the, the, the dwelling with God, is the spending time with him in his presence. Often we're so eager to do that we're not as eager to be. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, not just then, but his disciples for all time, that it's actually dwelling in the presence of God that is the most important thing in ministry, and not just in ministry, but it's the most important thing in life. Ellen White calls this experimental religion. Have you ever come across that passage in her writings where she talks about experimental religion? I encourage you to do a bit of a word search, experimental. She uses it in contrast to legal religion. Experimental religion is having your own personal encounter with the Lord. They were to wait and tarry in his presence that they might know Jesus for themselves. And what a work it did. You consider what they were and you consider also what they became as a consequence of dwelling in the Spirit. Like these men changed the world. Like think about them for a moment. You think about who they were and what they did. Like they often didn't understand the teachings of Jesus. Remember Jesus teaches a parable and then they pull him aside afterwards and they're like, what did you mean by that? I mean the Pharisees often understood the parables. Like you actually see recorded in the Gospels that the Pharisees understood that the parable concerned them. But you don't see any instances of the disciples who are like, yeah, we get that. They're ignorant. They're uneducated. They're untrained. What about James and John? They go through Samaria and they, Jesus is rejected and they want to call fire down from heaven to burn them up. What great witnesses they are. What about all of them that forsake Jesus and flee? What about their constant vying for the greatness? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? What about Peter rebuking Jesus, saying, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. Great students. They probably failed on most of their tests. But Jesus chooses them. Jesus chooses the weakest of the weak to confound the wise. 
so they would depend wholly upon him and not upon themselves. I want to show you the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is such a wonderful thing. What does the Spirit do? If you've got your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 16, verses 7 to 8. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here in John this morning. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is Thursday evening. Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to go before trial. And he's about to be crucified. And in fact, it's in this kind of, I guess you could say, timing that you see Jesus spending the majority of his time talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he understood the significance of it. And Acts chapter, I mean, John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, this is what he says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus saying, it's better that I go, that the Spirit might come. This shows us right from the passage that the Spirit is a person. Because Jesus saying, it's better that I go, that the Spirit might come. And you will see that Jesus often speaks of the Spirit with personal pronouns. He, 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 he. You can't replace a person with the force. You replace the person with the person. And he's called the helper, and the helper will come. Now, what would the helper do? It's interesting. Verse 8 says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Now, honesty session here. Who likes being convicted? The role of the Spirit isn't to give you warm fuzzies. That's what we would like the Spirit to do. Yes, it, can, it confirms to you that you are children of God. But Jesus says when the Spirit has come, he will convict you of sin and of righteousness and in judgment. Now you imagine that upper room where the disciples were praying before Pentecostal power was poured out upon them. There was a lot of searching of the heart, yes. They would have been convicted of sin, of righteousness and judgment, things that they had done that they shouldn't have done, things that they felt or cherished against each other. They would have confessed those things. The Holy Spirit came in and convicted. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to make you feel good. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of sin. Because sins separate you from God and the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you that are not in harmony with God. And it's not because God is a killjoy. It's because God knows what's best for you. And you don't. My kids would love to have Cocoa Pops every breakfast. I'm a killjoy dad because I say no because I know it's not best for them. My children think that waking up every half an hour of the night is a wonderful experience for all involved. But I know that's not best for them or for me. We often don't know what's best, but God does. In Acts chapter two, you see Peter standing up and preaching this powerful message and 3,000 are baptized at the end of it. And there's this interesting passage as you see in Acts chapter two as he's preaching. The people who are hearing It says that they are cut to the heart. Why? Because when the word is preached and it's accompanied with the spirit of God, it cuts the heart. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word cuts to save. It doesn't cut to kill. I've heard a preacher say that God is a surgeon, not a butcher. A butcher cuts to kill. A surgeon cuts to save. The Holy Spirit cuts to save. And the people who are listening, they're cut to their heart. And what is their response? Because their response shows us that there's a number, I guess you could say, of 
decisions that we can make when we are convicted of sin. The Bible says that they were baptised. They were cut to the heart, the Spirit convicted them and they were baptised. You fast forward five chapters and you come to Acts chapter 7. Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin. He essentially preaches the same sermon. But Peter preached at Pentecost. But he's preaching it to the Sanhedrin here. And the Bible actually says that they were cut to the heart. The same spirit is convicting. But is it a different response? Instead of accepting the message, what do you find? They pick up stones and they stone the messenger. This is an interesting thing. Often people will attack the messenger when they don't like the message. Why? Because in attacking the messenger, they think that they're removing the message or they're distancing themselves from the message. What they don't realise, that the Holy Spirit is the one that is giving them the message. He's convicting them of sin and of righteousness and judgement. I was studying with a lady this week and it's our first catch-up since the holidays. And she was saying to me, I didn't go to church last week and I felt bad. I felt like I should be. Is that the Holy Spirit? Don't you love those questions? Someone who's seeking after God. Is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me? She's like, I was watching something and I just felt like I shouldn't be watching it. Is, Is that the Holy Spirit? I said, absolutely. And then she responded in a positive way by accepting what the Holy Spirit was saying to her. It didn't feel good in the moment, but when you walk in the light, guess what happens? You receive light. And then I remember another story a number of years ago in my home church where I was inviting this person to come to church and I was just labouring, just encouraging, encouraging. They'd grown up in the church and I was just encouraging them to come along and finally they were coming along and I was kind of like just there with them as they were coming to church and I was praying there was going to be a great day for them and that people would be friendly and everyone was friendly because I was with her the whole time and people were like, oh, it's great to see you, welcome, you know, um, how have you been, what have you been, just wonderful conversations. None of them were difficult, none of them were judgmental, every single one of them were pleasant. Then at lunch afterwards, I was sitting with her and we're kind of debriefing. I said, so, so what do you think? And she's like, I felt judged. The Holy Spirit was convicting her. But how does she remove the conviction of the Spirit? She placed it on the people that were being nice to her. Because she was there and she recognised this is where I need to be. We have one or two choices when the Spirit convicts. We can be cut to the heart and we can be saved or we can be cut to the heart and reject. When the Spirit comes, the first role of the Spirit is to convict us of sin. Go to the next slide. The next passage that we're going to be looking at is in John chapter 6. Go to the next next slide. John chapter 6, and I think it's verse 63. John 6, 63. Jesus says these words. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, just think about that for a moment. Jesus says that what is life? He says the spirit is life. When the spirit comes into your life, he gives you life. 
We were all born once. The Bible says that we are to be born again. In fact, in John chapter 3, let's, let's turn there quickly. John chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse 6. Jesus speaking here to Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What Jesus is saying here is this. We are all born of the flesh. We are all born. But he says you need to be born again of the spirit. You need to receive the spiritual life that comes from above. Unless you receive the spiritual life, you have no life. So the spirit not only convicts us of sin. We'll go, yeah, this, that one. The spirit also gives us life. And what you notice is that there is a very clear progression here. The spirit will convict you. And when he convicts you, he convicts you to lead you in a better life. With those that are pursuing their own path, independent and separate from the Spirit of God, forging their own future, recognise that the life that God has for you is far better than any life that you could ever imagine for yourself. But sometimes it's difficult to trust that God knows what's best. The Holy Spirit will give you life and it's life in its abundance. The next verse I want to have a look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Spirit also reveals. The Spirit convicts, the Spirit gives life, and the Spirit also reveals. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It takes a little while to get from A to B in the New Bible. We're going to read verses 9 as well. Now, verse 9 is a verse that's commonly used in reference to heaven and how amazing heaven will be. But I don't know if it's the best, if it's the best verse to explain that because you'll see what comes after verse 9. You see verse 10. This is what verse 9 says. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. That verse is commonly associated with heaven. But it doesn't really make sense when you go to verse 10. Because verse 10 says, But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The Spirit will reveal things to you that beforehand you just did not know. Jesus says, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, unless you are born from above, unless you receive the new life that the Spirit has for you, you will not see eternal realities as you ought to see them. It's impossible. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned and so without the Spirit of God, they're not going to be palatable to you. But the more of the Spirit that you receive, these heavenly things will become more appreciated, more desired. In fact, when Jesus is speaking to Nathanael in John chapter 1 and Nathanael comes to Jesus, he's brought to Jesus by Philip and Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree Nathanael says, you are the son of God, the, most, the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you, you say that. He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, this is a really important point that Jesus is establishing here. He's basically saying to Nathanael here, you're going to see things that beforehand you had not seen or weren't even aware of. And this is what happens when the spirit comes upon you. You, began to, you begin to see things that beforehand you did not know were taking place. Jesus uses the, the imagery of, of Jacob at Bethel where he has that vision. 
And the vision of Jacob was this this great ladder extending to the extremities in heaven and descending to the extremities of earth. And Jesus says, I am that ladder and the angels ascend and descend on me. In other words, what Jesus is saying to his disciple here is like, if you follow me, you will see spiritual things that will blow your mind. And that's the joy of journeying with God. You begin to see things as you walk with him that strengthen your faith and deepen your understanding. The Holy Spirit reveals. And the last thing that we'll see here is that the Holy Spirit leads. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, we'll see this passage. Romans 8, 14. If we can go to the next slide. Romans 8, 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. God will convict you of sin. You see the progression here. He convicts you of sin. After he's convicted you of sin, he gives you the new life that comes from above. Once he gives you the new life that comes from above, we see that he begins to reveal eternal realities to you and he leads you all the days of your life. It's why Paul says, you know, In his missionary journeys, the Holy Spirit says, don't go into this place or don't go into this place. And he could discern the voice of the Spirit because he was used to listening to the voice of the Spirit. As we walk with Jesus, the Spirit shows us and leads us more and more if we make use of the life that God has given to us. And so as we kind of close this message, I want to ask you a question here. Is there a difference between experiencing the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Because no one can come to Jesus unless the Spirit brings them. But routinely through the book of Acts, and we're going to go through these very quickly here if we can get them up on the screen. Um, And we might jump ahead a couple of slides. Here we go. Uh, We'll go to the previous verse, if there is one beforehand. Yeah, there we go. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. You see this common theme in the book of Acts. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the disciples. We go to the next slide, which is Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. You see the same idea. They're filled with the Spirit. Next slide. And when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Where the next one? Acts 13, 9, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. We'll go to the next one as well. And this is our last one here. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. What's the theme that you see in all of these passages? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an emphasis here. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't, that's a rhetorical question, but it's one for you to contemplate and consider because filled means the very thing that it means. It means filled. What is another word that you would use to explain the idea of being filled with the Spirit? You see it in Acts just the same. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you see the other word that's used and it's actually they were baptised in the Spirit. The word baptism means to be immersed to be completely full of the Spirit. I mean, the longing of my heart personally is that God would fill this vessel so much that I would have to say, God, I've received enough, the vessel's about to break. 
And when they were filled with the Spirit, they were able to do in, you could say, months what they would be unable to do in a lifetime. That's why the time of refreshing is so exciting for me when God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. You imagine what God's church will accomplish in those days when the Spirit is poured out without measure. But there is an interesting story in the book of Acts, and this is the last story that I want to close on from Scripture. It's in Acts chapter 19. And I invite you to turn there with me because it's always intrigued me. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, we find Paul going to Ephesus and he has an interesting experience in Ephesus. Reading in verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Who is he finding in Ephesus? Disciples. Now, from your understanding of what disciples are, disciples are what? Followers of Jesus. So Paul goes to Ephesus, he finds followers of Jesus. Interesting followers. We're going to see what they are. Verse 2. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptised? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptised with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, this Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, this is very intriguing here. It is possible to experience the Spirit and yet not be filled with the Spirit. Here we see disciples, followers of Jesus, believing in the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and no doubt experiencing the effects or the working of the Spirit in their life. Otherwise, they wouldn't be followers of Jesus. But they haven't yet been filled with the Spirit. It is possible just the same to attend church year after year after year and to hear messages and experience the working of the Spirit and yet not be filled with the Spirit. But what was the solution to those that hadn't heard of the Spirit or hadn't been filled from the Spirit? What was the solution in the text? Was it enough for Paul to explain to them what the Spirit did or who the Spirit was? They had to be not rebaptized. That's not what the text says. They were baptized. And when they were baptized, they laid hands on them and prayed over them and they received the Spirit and they spoke in tongues just as they spoke in tongues in the upper room, confirming that the Spirit was upon them. Church, do we realize our need? Our need of the Spirit in our lives. Are you awakened to your own spiritual poverty? I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to realize a lot of things. Do you believe that? I think one of the things that I will probably realize was that much of what I did was in my own strength. And also realize how much more could have been done if I trusted more in his strength. Do you resonate with that? The verse that we've been memorizing this week is, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is a good thing to be awakened to your spiritual poverty. It is a good thing to recognize that you don't have everything altogether. 
It is a good thing to depend upon Jesus with every fibre of your being. The moment that you are self-sufficient and you think that you have everything sorted is the moment that you have everything. You know for sure that you have nothing sorted whatsoever. Uh, Hands that feel as if they hold everything are not hands that can be filled. We'll go to the next slide, Ryan. The amount of blessings, this is what Ellen White says, and I think it's powerful. He who feels whole, who thinks that he is reasonably good. <laughs> Chloe was... Chloe, she's at the A. Oh, she's listening. I don't know if I should use this illustration now. <laughs> she was singing in the car on the way here, and she has the most beautiful songs. And her song was today, it just, Rosie likes to write songs and Rosie does, I mean you would know Lindy, she's written a song for Kids Church and Lindy asked if she could write a song and she's really gifted my wife. And she, <laughs> she wrote in five minutes and I'm just like, who are you? And so my daughter's gets all the good things off Rosie and gets all the bad things off me and um, in the car on the way to church, she was singing this song and it was about how all the bad people that don't love Jesus or something like that. And I was just thinking, often we think that we're better than what we are because we're here. Don't we? None of us have arrived and none of us are inherently, intrinsically good. Those that think they're good, and are contented with their condition, do not seek to become a partaker of the Christ, the grace and righteousness of Christ. I mean, why would you ever seek it if you think you already have it? One of Satan's greatest deception is for you to be convinced that you're better than what you are. Go to the next slide, Ryan. Pride feels no need, and so it closes the heart against Christ and the infinite blessings he came to give. This next sentence is powerful. She says, they feel that they are full, Therefore, they go away empty. Hands that think that they are full can never be filled. When you are empty, you realise you need. So I finish this thought, this message today. And we return to how we began it. Why did Jesus choose those men? Well, the reason is because they had nothing to give but themselves. And it demonstrates to us that the one qualification for receiving the Spirit is to recognise your need of the Spirit because without the Spirit, church, we have nothing to give. You know, I'm not a music, musical person. I like to think that I am. I will sing down there and if anyone's around me, they will hear me singing very loudly but I won't sing up here because that stuff's caught by this. In fact, whenever I go and sit down here after I've preached with the benediction song, I always turn this off because I don't trust the people at the desk. Because sometimes they might just forget and they might leave it on and, and I'm just coming through and I can't hear because I'm singing so loudly but everyone else can hear it. I'm not a musical person. So if I was to go over to this piano and start playing it, let me, I can play a song. Yeah, no, I can't play it. I was supposed to be Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the instrument, is there? There's everything wrong with 
the player. If I said, Paul, can you come up and play us a song? I'll get you to come up, just to illustrate my point. No pressure, mate. We've just established that there's no problem with the instrument. So I want you to play just some nice appeal music. Sound a little bit better? What makes the difference? The difference is not the instrument. The difference is the one who plays the instrument. So often in our lives, we think that we're the instrument and the one playing the instrument. And what we don't recognise is that the tune that that gives off is not a very nice tune. Who holds you? Who plays you? Is it the tune of heaven? Or is it the tune of your own wisdom, your own intellect and your own understanding? To be held by God, to be used by God, to recognise your need of God, the inexpressible joy that it is to be held by Him. It's wonderful to be spiritually poor because those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. The church depends upon such people. People who are not self-sufficient, but people who recognise that it's all dependent upon Jesus. As a church, my prayer is that we will not depend upon structures, that we will not depend upon resources, that we will not depend upon methods, that we will not depend upon men, that you will not put your trust in me, but that we would put our trust in the Spirit of the living God that brings all other blessings in its train. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the gift of the Spirit, a gift that we don't appreciate as much as we should. Father, the Spirit is not a gift to be used like we're using a thing. Father, we are to be used. We are the instrument. And Father, I pray for every single person here today that we may merely present ourselves as vessels, empty, broken vessels to be filled by your grace. Father, we want to be filled. We don't just want to experience the Spirit from time to time. We want to be filled with the Spirit, baptised with the Spirit daily. Father, may you awaken in the hearts, minds and consciences of all of us here today that the Spirit is what we need. And that, Father, you may awaken this to us even more so as that day soon appears that you'll come to take us home. Pray for every part, for every single person here, for those present, for those not, that, Father, this year the church in all that we undertake and in all that we do, I know that this is a great and lofty request, Lord. Father, I ask it in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And if you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more so would the Holy, God give the Holy Spirit, your Father, to those that ask him? So we ask following your command, believing that we will receive. May you change us, Father, so thoroughly change us with the spiritual life that comes from above. I ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.
This message was made available by the Mwellenbar Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Mwellenbar Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Hamilton family will now sing Holy Spirit, Light Divine. Holy Spirit, Light Divine, shine upon this heart of mine. Chase the shades of night away. Turn my darkness into day. for Kids with Uncle Gordon, where you will hear first-hand accounts of answers to prayer and miracles from God. Oh, by the way, I think adults will like this too. Hi, boys and girls. Love to be able to talk to you again. Uncle Gordon here again. When I was out in the Solomon Islands working as a volunteer, I had one event that I 
planned with a whole group of young people who I got to know very, very well, who were educated young men and women, who were willing to help me with some of the preparation and planning of some of the events that we had for young people. And one of those, we were going to have a big bonfire one night. I already knew that we were going to have between 300 and 600 young people at every event on a Saturday night. And so I had this group of young men come with me on a Friday out to Little Island where we drove the little little utility that I had access to, to the edge of the island, and then we waded across the river onto this big island. And there had been floods in the past, so there was lots of timber, lots of trees, lots of big branches that were just all settled around the island or on the banks of the river. And we began to gather all of these together because we wanted to make a huge bonfire. And on Saturday night, we were going to be having games around the bonfire. We're going to be having singing and and storytelling. It's going to be a fun night. And I'm sure you would enjoy that kind of fun event as well. Anyway, we'd finished the bonfire. We'd set up the whole environment, the whole setting for what we were going to do Saturday night. And we decided instead of just wading across the river, we would jump into the river and float down the river to where our little ute was was waiting for us. So we ran to the edge of the island and jumped in. And it was a very fast-flowing river. And as we jumped in, I suddenly remembered that I have glasses on. And I've got an old pair of glasses with me which are almost the same as, as that pair of glasses. And when I look at the pair of glasses, I realize there's a fair bit of weight in these glasses. And if they came off my head, it would be pretty hard to try and find them again, particularly in a fast-flowing river that was very hard to see in the water. As we jumped into the water and as I went under the water, I realised my glasses were being lifted off my face. And I reached up quickly to try and grab the glasses, but all I did was flick them a little bit quicker and they were gone. Into the water somewhere. And I was just horrified because those of us who have to wear glasses because our eyes are a little bit weak and we can't see very well can't really manage without them and so I needed those glasses very, very much. And so I sang out to some of the young men who were helping me, my glasses have come off, please come back and help me find them. And so we all gathered at the point where I had jumped in and we began to comb the base of the river. Now, it was about waist high or a little bit deeper than that, so it wasn't easy. We couldn't just reach down. We had to duck dive. You know what that is, where you swim and then you dive down and then reach with your hands. And and we reached with our hands and our feet, and we went back and forward across a big wide pathway, searching for those glasses. We worked our way down the river, down the river, further and further, checking every little rock and stone underneath our feet for those glasses. But we couldn't find them anywhere. We even went to where the river did a big swirl to the right and then to the left again. And we thought, well, they might have been carried by this strong current into that bank. But we were a little bit nervous of feeling in the bank because we knew there were crocodiles living in that river as well. And we could disturb a crocodile or two or more that were having a rest and we didn't want to be somebody else's dinner. We kept looking and looking until it was almost dark and we hadn't found them. We went back eventually to the island and we stood together in a circle and and we said, Lord, we cannot find these glasses ourselves. 
We depend entirely on you. This is your program. This is for young people. This is for children. This is for families, this event. And we need those glasses. Please bring them back. We don't know where they are. Maybe they've even gone all the way out to sea from the edge of the island. We don't know where they are. Please, please bring them back. Then four of us, myself and three other young men, jumped into the river together, the same as what we had when the glasses had come off. And then we dived. And as we dived, all of a sudden we heard a little tinkling like glasses banging, plastic or metal banging on stones. We couldn't see, but we could all hear under the water. And all of us reached at the same time towards where the sound was. And we all picked up part of the glasses and all came out of the water, all holding onto the one pair of glasses, all at the same time. And didn't we make a big whoopee? Because we were so excited that God had brought back those glasses. When we got back on the island, we began to talk about where were they? Well, we've looked there before, so they can't have been there. We've searched everywhere else, so the glasses had obviously gone. So who was holding them? And who was tapping them on the rocks so that we would hear the sound? And we began to wonder, was it an angel whose hand we brushed by? Was it God himself who held the glasses in his hand and we had the privilege of, of brushing our arm against God, the Creator's arms? We were so thrilled. When we went back to the ute, we didn't jump into the water again. We waded across carefully and went back to the ute after having knelt again and saying, thank you, God. Anything for family, anything special for children, anything special for young people, you obviously honour and respect. And we thank you that you know our every need and that you care about us and provide for our every need. So boys and girls, whatever your situation, whatever's going on in your life, whatever things that are troubling you, you can know that you are precious to God. He cares about you and he's interested to help you to find joy in knowing that he is there. Sometimes he doesn't always answer the prayers we want in the way that, that we ask him to, but sometimes he has something even more beautiful to do for us. So thank you, boys and girls, for listening so well, and God bless you and your family. Mission Stories for Kids with Uncle Gordon, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.